The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Well, uh, I want to give you a quick report on Grace Point here uh, before we get started. Uh, our church plant in the Heights. Uh, God has been faithful to them, and they've ha- they're doing great. They have over a hundred every week in worship. And uh, last week they baptized two, and their very first baptisms. And uh, you can see the pictures there. They got a horse trough, filled it with water, and yeah, that's. It's something to praise God about, right? Uh, it's the whole reason we plant churches is so that people can come to a saving faith in Christ. And uh, so two of those are represented there. One of those ha- actually happens to be Pastor Jim's one. And so he's prayed for him. He's witnessed to him. And uh, God is faithful and brought him to a saving knowledge of him. And uh, he followed in obedience to Baptist. Isn't that great? So, Yeah. So if you've got your one, keep praying. If it hasn't happened yet, have faith. It, it will happen, right? And God blesses those who are faithful. And speaking of faith, even in this modern day and age of science and reason, we as a people still talk about faith, don't we? And uh, I want to read some quotes here of, uh, about faith. Norman Vincent Peale, do you guys know who he is? He wrote the, the popular book, The Power of Positive Thinking. I'm sure all of you have read it. Um, it says, Believe in yourselves, have faith in your abilities, without a humble but reasonable confidence in your own powers, you cannot be successful or happy. Gandhi said, You must not lose faith in humanity. More modern times, Steve Jobs said, technology is nothing. What is important is that you have faith in people, that they are basically good and smart, and if you give them tools, they'll do wonderful things with them. Paula Abdul said, keep the faith, don't lose your perseverance, and always trust your gut instinct. And so we talk about faith. Everybody around us might be talking about faith, but as you can see from these quotes, Uh, faith means different things to different people. For Vincent Peale, faith is optimism. You can bring about uh, all your hopes and dreams can come true if you just have a positive attitude towards it. Just think you can, right? If you think you can do it, you can do it. Everything is possible just with a positive attitude. That's his idea of faith. For Gandhi and Steve Jobs, faith means simply believing in the absence of evidence, right? They believe in the goodness of humanity despite everything that goes on around them that tells them opposite, that humanity is not good, right? I mean, you don't have to just watch the evening news to find out that humanity, we're not basically good. For Paula Abdul, faith is subjective. Trust your gut. Trust your feeling. If you feel it's true, if you believe it's true, then it's true. Faith is subjective. But none of these is true faith. It's not real faith. It's at least not a biblical faith. The faith today I want to talk to you about is what a biblical faith looks like. A faith which changes everything. If you turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 10, we're going to look at the faith of a man named Bartimaeus. Mark is 
the earliest gospel written. It's probably written around 64 or 65 AD. Uh, in the book, the, the author doesn't identify himself. It's anonymous. But uh, Christian tradition says that it was authored by Mark. And many believe, uh, in the Christian world, many believe that, that Mark is John Mark from Acts. Uh, you remember John Mark from the book of Acts. Uh, he went on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. He quit them halfway through the journey that upset Paul. And when Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go out again on their second journey, uh, Barnabas wants to take John Mark, and Paul says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to take this guy with me again, right? And so they have this sharp disagreement, and they split. Well, John Mark and Paul, they, they make up. He's, John Mark is seen with... Uh, uh, Paul in Rome, and uh, John Mark is associated with Peter. So while he may not have been an eyewitness to the things that he wrote about, all the things that he wrote about, he had firsthand testimony about it. And so in Mark chapter 10, he wrote, writes about a man named Bartimaeus. And here's what he says, in, uh, starting in verse 46. He says, And they came to Jericho, And as he was leaving, the he here is Jesus, and this is the last healing uh, miracle in Mark's gospel, uh, and the final episode before Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And so that's the he he's talking about here, it's Jesus. As he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, now the great crowd that was with him, they were probably all pilgrim, remember Jesus on his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so as Jewish tradition was, uh, a large crowd, they would um, migrate to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so they're with Jesus, with his disciples, and they're walking towards Jerusalem. And it says, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And so first of all, we immediately see two things about Bartimaeus. First of all is that he's blind, and the second thing is that he's poor. And as we study Scripture, uh, one of the reasons we study Scripture is so that we can apply it to our lives. And if we want to apply a Scripture to our lives, we look for commonalities, right? And so you might be sitting in this room and think, well, I don't have anything in common with Bartimaeus. I'm not blind and I'm not poor. I'm not out begging, right? But the reality is that we are all by nature (laughs) blind beggars, spiritually speaking, right? Right? Spiritually speaking, we are all in the same exact situation as Bartimaeus. If you don't know Christ, that's your situation, current situation. If you know Christ, it was your previous, your former situation, right? And so Bartimaeus' story is our story. And so we have, we do have commonality with Bartimaeus. And it says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped stopped and said, call him. And he called the blind man, saying to him, uh, they called to the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his coat, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, teacher, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith 
has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on his way. The first thing I want you to see about the faith of Bartimaeus, it it stands in stark contrast to the belief today of what faith is, right? It wasn't a faith of optimism. It wasn't subjective. And so the first thing I want you to notice is biblical faith requires knowledge and acknowledgement of the truth. Knowledge and acknowledgement of the truth, right? And there's two areas here we see that Bartimaeus has, has found the truth he's, and acknowledged that truth, right? He has taken his time and evaluated his life situation, He knows he's blind. He's not pretending to be not blind, right? When we see him in this episode, what is he doing? He's sitting on the roadside. He's not walking around thinking that, oh, I can go wherever I want. I can see, right? He he knows that he's blind. He's not out working. He's not out trying to find a job because he knows nobody's going to hire a blind man. And so he knows the truth of his situation. He's not sitting at home thinking, oh, I got plenty of money in the bank. Right? He knows that he's blind and he knows that he's poor. Another way that we know that he, is, he knows the truth about his situation and he's acknowledged that truth is because of what he does. He cries out to Jesus to have mercy on him. Right? And so Jesus passes by, and when he passes by, he doesn't just sit there and say, well, I don't need anything from him. I'm good, right? So he knows the truth of his situation. He acknowledges the truth of his situation, right? And there's another area in which he knows the truth and he acknowledges the truth, right? When he calls out, who does he call out to? He calls out to Jesus, and he uses a title, a messianic title, the Son of David, This indicates that somewhere along the line in Bartimaeus' life, somebody came and taught him from Scripture. And he was looking for a Messiah. And somewhere, while he was begging on the roadside, somebody came by talking about Jesus and the miracles that he had performed. And so he heard the truth. And he acknowledged the truth. And when he calls out, he doesn't just call out to Jesus. He recognizes him as the Messiah, as the son of David, as the one who will fulfill the promises given to David and inherit the kingdom. So again, he knows the truth and he acknowledges the truth. Biblical truth um, requires the, the acknowledgement of truth. And so we as believers today, we need to seek the truth and we need to acknowledge it when we find it. So where do we find it? We find it in God's word. That is the truth. And when we seek it and when we seek it and we find it, we need to acknowledge that it's true. If we fail to acknowledge the truth, If we live a life in denial, Jesus says it's the same thing as being blind, right? There's a story in John chapter 9 where Jesus heals another blind man. And he has been blind since birth. 
And he was in the same situation. He was sitting and begging and everybody knew who he was. And Jesus comes along and he heals this man. And he's running around, he's singing Jesus' praises and he's, he can see and the people are saying, is, is this, no, that's gotta be somebody different. It's gotta be somebody different, it can't be him. And he's out there saying, no, no, it's me. The Pharisees hear about this and they call him in and they question him. And they ask him what happened. And he tells them exactly what happened. And the Pharisees, they, they don't want to believe it. They, see, they, they hear the truth. They see the truth. They know they've walked by this guy who was blind many times. And now they can see that he sees and they don't want to acknowledge the truth. And so they send him away and they call his parents to make sure, hey, is this guy, was he really blind? And his parents say, what are you asking us for? He's an adult, go ask him. And so they call him back in and they question him some more. And he he says, I already told you. You want to know more so you can be his disciples? Right? He, He mocks them. And then after the blind man leaves there, Jesus and him meet up again. And they have a conversation. And at the end of the conversation, Jesus says, he, call, he says the Pharisees, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, then they, they end up in the ditch, right? They could physically see, but spiritually they could not see the truth. Or they saw the truth and they failed to acknowledge it because it was too unpalatable for them. And the truth is the majority of Americans live in denial of the truth. We know the truth, right? But if you went out and you took a poll, most people, if you ask them, if you, are people basically good or bad? The majority of them would say, oh, humanity, we're, we're basically good, just like Steve Jobs and Gandhi, right? And we ignore the evidence around us. We, we ignore it and we fail to acknowledge it because it's too unpalatable to say that if I acknowledge humanity is basically good, then I have to acknowledge my own sinfulness, don't I? And that can't possibly be true because I know I'm a good person, right? I've never murdered anybody. I've never even assaulted anybody. And I do recycle, okay? I mean, I'm doing my part to save the planet. I'm a good person. There's no way I could possibly be bad. And so we fail to acknowledge the truth of Scripture, which says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God because we don't like the truth. If you were to take another poll in America today, most people still believe in in God. They believe in the existence of God. Over 80% would say, yeah, I believe there is a God. And yet we deny the existence of God as described in the Bible. Why? Because we don't like it. How, how can I believe in a God who is un, so unloving and so hateful that he would send somebody to an eternity in hell? Right? And so we find truth unpalatable and we don't acknowledge the truth. But biblical faith acknowledges the truth right? Not acknowledging the truth is just like being blind, right? You go to the guy who just got his 10th DUI and you ask him, hey, uh, you think you have a problem? Nope. I can quit anytime I want to. 
right? Go to the person who's twenty, thirty thousand dollars in debt. Hey, uh, you think you might want to? You might have a problem. Nope, nope. I can stop spending any time I want to, right? Can you imagine coming along uh, an accident scene? You know, there's somebody laying there. Their leg is dismembered, and you say, "Hey, do you need some help?" No, I'm good. It's a flesh wound. It's just a scratch, right? It's it's silly, right, to deny the truth. When we deny the truth and we don't acknowledge the truth, it doesn't change the truth. The truth remains unchanged. So a biblical faith, first and foremost, requires knowledge and acknowledgement of the truth. The second thing we see is biblical faith requires evidence, but not the actual thing. Biblical faith requires evidence, but not the actual thing. Uh, Bartimaeus is blind, uh, and I don't know if you know this, but that means you can't see. Right? How much of what we believe, we believe because we see it. Right? Have you ever seen something so incredible that you say to somebody, if I hadn't seen it with my own two eyes, I wouldn't have believed it? This is the story of uh, Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus has been crucified. He's rose again. He's appeared to all the disciples except Thomas. And all the disciples, all his buddies, all his friends, the the guys that he spent the last three years with have told him, hey, we've seen Jesus. His response is, I won't believe it unless I see it. Now put yourself in Bartimaeus' shoes. You're blind. How can you believe anything? Right? How can you believe anything? Well, obviously, you've got to believe some things based on reliable testimony from others. And so Bartimaeus, he, he can't see it. He doesn't possess the thing that he hopes for, but he has faith, right? He believes. At some point, he has heard, again, some point while he's sitting on the roadside begging, somebody has come by who has witnessed the miracle firsthand and says, hey, I was there. I seen Jesus feed the 5,000. All he had was just a couple loaves of bread. I've seen Jesus. This man with leprosy came up to him and he healed him. He walked away clean. I've seen him heal a blind man. And he had to take that on the testimony and the word of others because he couldn't see it for himself. Right? And so, biblical faith requires that we don't necessarily possess it, we don't have to see it, but we believe the evidence. We believe the evidence of reliable witnesses. And the Bible is that reliable witness about who Jesus is. Because we don't, we weren't there. We, were, we didn't see him get crucified. We didn't see him after he was crucified. And so we take the testimony of reliable witnesses that Jesus was crucified, that he did heal the sick and the blind, and that he rose again. And so that we can have confidence, even though he hasn't come back, he said he will, but we can have confidence that he will. And so that's, that's a biblical faith. You don't possess the thing. And the, um, the writers uh, of Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, chapter 11, it's the faith chapter. And he defines faith this way. He says, by faith, 
uh, or faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Right? Things hoped for, so we hope to have it. If we have it, we don't hope for it. We already possess it, but it's something we don't already have. It's something, you know, we haven't seen it, right? And he goes on in in verse 3. He says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what was seen was not made out of things that are visible. So we weren't at creation, so we take it by faith. We take it by faith that when God spoke the words, let there be light, that there was light. And that the universe is created out of things that are unseen. And science even kind of acknowledges this, right? Because if you ask a scientist, what, what's the universe made of? They're going to tell you, well, it's made out of atoms. And atoms are made out of protons, neutrons, and electrons. And you ask a scientist, well, have you ever seen a proton, neutron, or electron? Their answer is going to be no. They haven't seen it. They've seen the evidence of them, right? Every time you turn on the light switch, you see evidence of electrons. But they've never seen it. It's too small. And so biblical faith means relying on the evidence but not possessing that thing, right? If you continue to read in uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 11, uh, again, the faith chapter, and he goes through and he lists all these giants of the faith, all the men and women that we look up to, and all the great things that they accomplished. And at the end of the chapter... In verse 39, he says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They didn't receive what there was promised. The story of Abraham is God told him, Hey, leave your home country. Go to a land that I will show you. And then he, so he does that. He takes an act of faith, and he goes and he leaves his homeland, and he arrives in this foreign land. And God says, look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, look to the west. All this land I am going to give to you as your possession. You know how much he possessed of that land when he died? He owned just a little bit, just a burial plot, just enough land that he could bury his wife. He didn't receive what he was promised. And yet... He's commended as a man of great faith. And we know he's a man of great faith because when God tested him and said, hey, come and sacrifice your son, he said, okay, I'll do that. So biblical faith doesn't mean we have to see it. It doesn't mean we have to possess it. It means we believe the evidence. It means we believe the testimony of reliable witnesses, just like Bartimaeus did. The next thing we see is biblical faith requires action. Biblical faith requires action. Bartimaeus, he's sitting there. He's begging. It's just like any other day for him. And then pretty soon he hears this crowd going by. And he says, hey, what's going on? And he has to, can't see what's going on. So he's got to ask and he's got to believe whoever tells him, hey, Jesus is walking by. And because he he knows the truth about who Jesus is, and he's acknowledged it, his faith, he did the only thing he could do in his faith. He cried out to him. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
He took the only action that he could, he could do. His faith compelled him to. You see, Bartimaeus' faith wasn't just a wishy-washy faith like, uh, yeah, I, I think I believe. I'm still maybe 50-50 uh, on this. I'm just going to sit here quietly, do nothing, and wait and see what happens. That wasn't his kind of faith. A biblical faith is a faith that leads to action. You have to act. It compels you to act. It's, you're so assured of your faith that you're so convinced that it's true that you have to act, right? Your faith requires you to act. Paul's faith compelled him to go into all the known world at his day and to share his faith, to spread the gospel, to plant churches, even though it meant that he was going to be shipwrecked, even though it meant that he was going to get thrown in jail, even though it meant that he would be beaten, even though it meant he would be dragged out of a city and stoned until they thought he was dead. That's faith. He had to act. He was so confident in Jesus. He was so assured of his salvation and the goodness of Jesus Christ that he could not be silent. Do you have that kind of faith? Are you willing to go out and share your faith with your friends and your family, with your one? What about if it means losing your job? What if your boss comes to you and, hey, you've got to be quiet about your faith. You've got to stop talking about Jesus. Do you have enough faith to say, I've got to talk. I've got to take action. I believe I'm confident in Jesus. I'm confident in my salvation. Do you have that kind of faith? What about the faith of the widow? You remember Jesus is in the temple and he's watching. And the widow comes up with her last two pennies. The Bible says the last two pennies that she has to live on. And in an act of faith, she puts him in the offering box. Fully confident that her God would provide for her. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have the kind of faith that you tithe not, not knowing how you're going to pay your bills at the end of the month? Do you have that kind of faith? What about Job? Do you have the kind of faith that Job had who after losing everything, he was a rich man. He was not like Bartimaeus. He was a rich man. He had camels. He had donkey. He had cattle. He had children. And he lost them all. And what did his faith do for him? It didn't keep him from losing everything, but he had to act. And when that happened, he tore his clothes and he fell on the ground. And the scripture says he worshiped God. Here's what it says. Here's, here's, here's his words. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have the kind of faith that drives you to worship God? Even when your world's falling apart. Even when it's crumbling all around you. Can you find joy in your trials and tribulations? Because you're so assured and so confident in your faith in Jesus Christ.
This is a biblical faith. It is a faith that requires action. Right? I got I to gotta, I gotta come clean. I got a confession to make. I'm an addict. I don't have a problem, but I'm an addict, all right? I like to watch Food Network, all right? I like to watch cooking shows. One of my favorite shows is Chopped. You guys familiar with that one? Chopped. They're, they get four chefs on there, and they compete against each other, and there's three rounds. The first round, they have to make a, uh, an appetizer. The next round, they have to make an entree. And the last one, they have to make a dessert. And each, after each round, somebody gets chopped. But the, the, the trick of it is, at the beginning of each round, they get a mystery basket, and there's four ingredients in there, and they don't know what it is. And oftentimes, these ingredients, they, they don't go together at all, right? I mean, what do you do with mushrooms in a dessert round? How do you make a dessert out of mushrooms, right? But that's the, that's the trick here. But at the beginning of each episode, they interview all these chefs. And all these chefs have one thing in common. They have faith in their abilities. They are confident that they are the one who can take anything that's put in front of them and make it taste good. And their faith compels them to go and compete against other chefs. Right? And the biblical faith is that way. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, is it a confidence? Is it an assurance that drives you to act? James says, faith without action is dead. Right? It's not a biblical faith. Biblical faith requires action. A biblical faith requires Jesus to be the object of your faith. A biblical faith requires Jesus to be the object of your faith, right? Faith always has an object. Again, people are always talking about faith. Oh, keep the faith. I have faith. Well, the next question is, what do you have faith in? Faith always has an object. What are you putting your faith in? Are you putting your faith in yourself, your own strength, your own knowledge, your own good looks, your own money? What is it? What are you putting your faith in? Are you putting your faith in the government? Are you putting your faith in science? Faith always has an object, but a biblical faith, the object has to be Jesus. The object of Bartimaeus' faith is obvious. Who does he cry out to? He doesn't cry out to Caesar. He doesn't cry out to Herod. He doesn't cry out to Muhammad. He doesn't cry out to Joseph Smith. He doesn't cry out to the Pope. He doesn't cry out to the Virgin Mary. He doesn't cry out to Buddha. He doesn't cry out to one of the millions and millions of gods of the Hindu faith. He cries out to Jesus. Jesus is the object of his faith. He knew there was no one else that could help him. He knew this was his last hope. But he was confident. He was confident and assured that Jesus was the one who could change everything in his life. And so Jesus needs to be the object of your faith. And when you place Jesus, when you make Jesus the object of your faith, it will change everything. And the last thing we see is biblical faith results in healing. Biblical faith results in healing. In verse 52, Jesus says, Go 
your way. Your faith has made you well. And Bartimaeus was healed. Bartimaeus, it changed everything. He was physically healed. And I, I, I'm not here preaching a, a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I'm not saying if you put your faith in Jesus, nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. I'm not going to say if you have cancer or some other disease that you're going to be healed of that immediately. You will be one day because when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when you die and you leave this world and you go and enter his presence, he will give you a new body which will be free of all illness. But the most important thing, the biggest change was not that he became, he could see physically see, but the biggest change was that he could spiritually see. Spiritually, everything changed for him. He went from being a sinner condemned to death, a man on death row to being pardoned. He went from being a slave to being a free man, and not just a free man, but adopted into the kingdom of a son Everything changed for him. Nothing was the same. Can you imagine putting yourself in his shoes? I, again, the scripture doesn't say whether he was born blind or he got, became blind because of an accident or because of an illness. But can you imagine if you've never seen anything and the first thing you see is your Lord and Savior standing in front of you? Everything changed for him that day. Everything. He was not the same. He was reborn, a new creation. And when people saw him, they must have done the same thing that they did to the other blind. Who is this? Who is this guy? He said, I'm Bartimaeus. But you used to be blind. He said, yeah. And he would share his story. So your faith in Jesus will change everything. It'll change your life. It'll change the way you view the world, right? It'll change the way you view humanity. It'll, view, it'll change the way you view your neighbors and your friends. You'll no longer see them as a, a, an annoyance. You'll see them as somebody lost and going to hell and in need of Jesus. It'll change the way you view money, Right? you'll begin to understand that God gives you everything that you have and that you've been given the money that you have to be a steward of it and you can become generous with your money because just like the widow, you can be confident that God is going to provide. It'll change everything. He will forgive your sins. You will move from death row to having a pardon. You will be moved from being a slave to a free man, adopted, an heir, a co-heir with Christ. Biblical faith in Jesus Christ changes everything. One day, we will all stand in front of Jesus. And Jesus is going to ask us the very same question that he asked Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? And you're going to have to answer that question. And so how are you going to answer that question? Are you going to stand before him and say, 
know what? I'm good, Jesus. I don't need you. I've got my money. I, I, I did good deeds. I've got my good deeds. I'll trust my intellect. There's an entrance exam, right? If you pass the entrance exam, you can get into heaven, right? I'll take that. Are you going to deny that your situation, that you're just like Bartimaeus and you're a poor, blind beggar? Or are you going to do what Bartimaeus did and say, no, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on my soul? Well, I'm not the first preacher to preach uh, a sermon about Bartimaeus. There's a preacher named Charles Spurgeon uh, in the 17 or 1800s who uh, preached a sermon about Bartimaeus. And I want to read you his closing remarks. He says, You see the crowd going along now. Who is that man in the midst with face so joyous? Who is that man who has lost his upper garment? See, he wears the dress of a beggar. Who is he? You would not think there was any beggary about him, for his step is firm and his eyes glisten and he sparkles and hearkens to him. As he goes along, sometimes he utters a little hymn or song, At other times, when others are singing, hearkening to his notes, the loudest of them all. Who is this man, always so happy and so full of thankfulness? It is the poor, blind Bartimaeus, who once sat by the wayside begging. Do you see yonder man, his brother, and his prototype? Who is it that sings so heartily in the house of God? And who, when he uh, is sitting in that house or walking by the way, is continually humming to himself, some strain of praise. Oh, it is that drunkard who has, been, who has had his sins forgiven. It is the swearer who has his, had his profanity cleansed out. It is she who was once a harlot, but is now a daughter of Jerusalem. It is she who once led others to hell, who now washes her Redeemer's feet and wipes him with the hairs of her head. Oh, may God grant that this story of Bartimaeus may be written over again in your experience. And may you all at last meet where the eternal light of God shall have chased away all blindness and where the inhabitant shall never say, I am sick. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.